Hi everyone, my name is Jasmine and you are listening to Faithfully Uncool. This is my little space on the internet where I talk about faith, spirituality, Christianity, and just life in general. While I come from a Christian background and so I work from that foundation, no matter what you think or what you believe, whether you're wondering how you even clicked on this Crazy Girls podcast, I'm happy that you're here and welcome you and hope that you learn something new. So something that's been a lot on my Instagram feeds has been this idea of deconstruction. I follow a lot of different Christian YouTubers and influencers, if you, you know, like that term. I know that some people are like all against it, content creator, you know, whatever. Um, But I follow different Christians and something that's come up is just different people's responses to this movement within Christianity of people becoming a little bit more progressive or liberal leaning in their faith and how they identify as Christian. Sometimes this is with really hot button topics in politics like the Roe versus Wade information. Um, At the time of starting this podcast, it's May 18th. So that whole Roe v. Wade and draft opinion of the Supreme Court has come out. That's not what this podcast will be about, but I just want to put this into context in case you're listening from the future. And different, you know, people might have deconstructed based on other things like sex or sexuality, you know, whatever the case might be, and have come to different conclusions about how they look at the world and how they look at their faith that have moved away from a very fundamentalist or evangelical way of looking at the church and the Bible itself. So today, I kind of want to go through a couple topics and reasons why I've noticed that I've noticed people deconstruct and just kind of look at them generally. Now, they could all be their own podcast, not saying that I'll be creating a podcast episode on all of these, but they really could all be their own podcast. So I will say first and foremost that I'm not an expert on anything. This is not maybe the most extensive list ever, but I do think that it touches on a lot of things that I've seen recur on my social media feeds when I follow different biblical scholars and Christian YouTubers and people that share their faith online. So without any further ado, let's just get right into the topic. So first things first, what do these terms even mean? When there's a lot of chatter about something, I think it's always helpful to define what you're actually talking about so that people don't assume that you mean one thing when you say a word when you don't. So for the purposes of this podcast, I'll tell you what I mean when I'm talking about deconstruction, fundamentalism or evangelicalism and progressiveness. All right, so here we go with some Google approved definitions for these terms. So when I talk about deconstruction, I'm talking about Merriam-Webster's second definition, which reads the analytical examination of something, such as a theory, often in order to reveal its inadequacy. So that's deconstruction. When we talk about fundamentalism, we're talking about someone who believes in the strict, literal interpretation of scripture and a religion, and evangelical. Evangelical means of or according to the teaching of the gospel of the Christian religion, of or denoting a tradition within Protestant Christianity emphasizing the authority of the Bible, personal conversion, and the doctrine of salvation by faith in the atonement. When we talk about being progressive, we're talking about a person advocating or implementing social reform or new liberal ideas. 
So typically, in a nutshell, these are what these terms mean. And so when we apply it to the Christian faith, we're typically talking about someone who goes from a very fundamentalist or evangelical point of view, which might be more of a traditional point of view for easiest ways of thinking about it, and usually they deconstruct their faith, i.e. analyze or break down their faith, and that leads them to a more progressive understanding or liberal understanding of certain ideas, particularly some of those hot button ideas or topics that I'm about to touch on. We'll talk about these topics around why people deconstruct and what those topics that they typically deconstruct are. So real quick here, before we get into the first topic, it's sort of a combined topic. I do know that they are two different things, but I've put them together because they both are in regards to sex and how the church looks at sex, but also sexuality. So just an FYI, if as I'm about to get into topic one, I just thought that it would be helpful to add that yes, I know dealing with one part of this topic might not necessarily mean that you deal with the other part, but I do think that they are sort of related, which is why I put them together. All right, so just a very, very short disclaimer from my editing version of myself before I hop into the recording of topic one. So here we go. So the first topic that I think you really cannot overlook when you have any kind of deconstruction conversation is purity culture and sexuality. There's really no way to discuss reasons people turn away from the church or struggle with their faith without mentioning purity culture in one way, shape, or form. The idea that your identity is built into your sexuality, that your virginity must be on a pedestal, or that being LGBTQ is wrong, has deeply impacted the lives of so many people, and often not in positive ways. There are some people that go through purity culture at their churches unscathed. They quote unquote, do everything right, get married young, have sex, and it all is great. But for many people, these doctrines were really not helpful, especially if they were in any kind of environment that supported practices such as conversion therapy that have been proven to be extremely harmful. So while sex is definitely important, for a lot of people, this teaching is what I would consider shame down. As in, what it starts with is everything you are if you have premarital sex, i.e. being damaged goods, being used, um, the teaching of soul ties, so connections to people that can't be broken. There's this idea that sex isn't just a part of your life, but it is the central defining point of what makes you quote unquote pure and whole. Thus, many feel that sexual desires and urges, period, are to be feared or denied. But the sad thing is, is that even if you do do everything right, you wait, you get married young, and you have sex in marriage, the shame might not disappear on your wedding night. Not to mention, this teaching is taught in a very heteronormative way, with the assumption that the only correct partner for you is a man if you're a woman, and a woman if you're a man. So some people aren't really willing to give the church another chance because of the harmful way that this has been expressed in their lives. And I know that there are different scholars now that are LGBTQ affirming. And even myself, I'm very blessed to have LGBTQ affirming churches in my area. 
but that doesn't mean that it's the norm or that it's easily accessible or that it always happens. So maybe you've personally been affected by purity culture or not. Maybe you are an LGBTQ Christian trying to have a relationship with Christ or not. But wherever you fall on this spectrum, I would just urge you to be compassionate to those who are going through this, to have understanding and grace as much as possible, and also to check out some resources that I'll leave in the show notes. The second thing that I think a lot of people have to deconstruct are their political views. And this is something that I think is very unique because there are other things on this list and what they really come down to is how someone approaches different scripture interpretations, different passages that may have been weaponized against them, such as with purity culture or LGBTQ people. But with politics, it's a little more insidious, I think, because this is more of how you interpret which political party best expresses your faith. So for some Christians, who you vote for and your faith are very intertwined. And so because of this, it is easy to vote for one party only with the understanding that there's a signified quote-unquote Christian party that one must vote alongside every single election regardless of what that party's candidate is spewing out or their views. However, there are actually Christians in both parties. This is not a political podcast, and I do not want it to become one. What I will say is that it's probably not a good idea to blindly follow a political affiliation, just like I wouldn't tell someone it's a good idea to blindly follow a pastor, regardless of what that political affiliation is or who that pastor is. Your faith can absolutely inform your political views, but... Being Christian isn't the sole mission of the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, in my opinion. And so I just want to rest with that, that it might be a little bit short-sighted and misguided to expect there to be a political party that perfectly aligns with what you want in Christianity. I just don't know if I feel comfortable saying that there's any party in America in politics right now that does that. Um, And we also have a separation between church and state, which I support. So that's kind of the foundation that I look at this as, but maybe you think differently. But I have noticed that different Christians on social media and my timeline often mention politics as something that they grew up thinking you always, always have to vote this way. And as they grew up, they changed their mind and had to really rethink that idea. The next reason I will give is actually really close to my heart, and that's because when I was a young kid, around 14, this is probably the thing that kind of set off my own deconstruction journey. So really didn't have social media around at the time, but definitely was triggered to rethink my faith and my faith beliefs. And while certain things on this list may have come up a little bit later for me, this was probably my number one reason. And it's a little bit hard to describe, but I will call it biblical culture shock syndrome. So this is when someone reads the Bible, they think they know it, and suddenly are confronted with something in Deuteronomy or Numbers or Leviticus or Exodus or one of those books that the pastor doesn't spend a lot of time in, you know? And you read something in there and you freak out. 
Maybe you're struggling with topics of slavery in the Bible, or violence against women, or gender roles. These are all heavy topics with great deals of scholarship. Literally, there are some biblical scholars that their whole job and what they teach and what they lecture on are these topics in particular, or other big, you know, questions or topics in the Bible. And I'm a nerd. I love this stuff. But when you're someone who's just sitting down trying to have a casual Bible study and you flip to a passage in the Bible that absolutely freaks you out, it can be a little crazy and nerve wracking, especially if you're raised to not even know that the passages are there or that you shouldn't be asking questions about it. Also, it could be even worse. Maybe you were taught an interpretation that severely marginalizes someone else. Like, oh yeah, men are the head of the household because women are inferior, right? So what if you have someone who's actually letting you believe or allowing you to believe that the most face value interpretation of the scripture is the only thing that's appropriate to think, even when it could have a bit of harmful consequences for how you go out in the world or how you approach different people? Actually, a bit of a derail here, I was once watching the Netflix show My Orthodox Life, which if you don't know is about Julia Hart, CEO of a modeling agency called the Elite Group, I believe, and her family. And she grew up um, in a very strict Orthodox Jewish community, and it's kind of about her life and her family's life outside of that community now. And one of the things she mentioned that used to be said was there is some kind of prayer where it was, thank God I'm not a woman. (laughs) Um, And so maybe there are Christians that cannot relate to that. But I do believe that even though that's someone who's coming from a Jewish tradition, that sometimes there are different passages, maybe about gender or about different topics, that are so, you know, maybe we feel like our culture is so ahead of it now, but when we read the Bible, we're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. What am I to believe? And sometimes it does seem like people are very okay with you just honestly believing that there are whole types of people that are less than you. Unfortunately, the church hasn't always been on the right side of history. There were churches that wanted segregation or that were racist at the time when that was happening in the U.S. So we have to be careful with this idea that to be Christian is to be default compassionate and caring for the marginalized. It should certainly be that way, but you can always make an interpretation or make a reading of scripture much more poisonous than it needs to be towards people that you want to have some kind of control or power over. That's not new. Religion can be a tool and sometimes it can be a dangerous one. And I think it's perfectly okay as a Christian to say that that can happen. Not that it should happen, not that it always does happen, but that it's a possibility. Another thing I would say here is that many people question the Bible because they care about it, not because they hate it. After all, when is the last time you thought hard about something that just didn't matter to you? The problem is that oftentimes, the understanding of trust God and don't ask questions get married to one another and this weird, this is what it means to have strong faith sandwich. Suddenly you have people growing up with the assumption that to have a strong faith is to not critically think or debate scripture. In turn, you have people who decide the Bible isn't for them and a God that can't be questioned is ultimately a God that just shouldn't be worshiped. If someone in your life is struggling with a fundamentalist view of scripture, 
don't assume that they're not a real Christian, that they're lukewarm, or my all-time most hated phrase, cherry-picking. Side note, we all cherry-pick the Bible in some way. It's not a bad word, although I do hate the phrase because I think it's so demeaning. Deconstruction can actually be really lonely, and it's a path easier walked with less judgment, even from people who disagree. So whether you agree with someone or don't agree with how they're approaching something, it doesn't mean that you can't maybe hold their hand or be as understanding as possible with them. And it probably means that you can refrain from making assumptions harmfully about why they are having an issue. The last thing I will mention is one that I think comes up maybe a little bit less, but always seems to kind of be overarching all of these other things. You know, why do these other things matter? Why is it so important that you get Christianity right? As a diehard perfectionist, an Enneagram 6, I have a really, really hard time with instability and uncertainty. And I'm not just saying that to be funny. I'm a perfectionist, I'm an Enneagram 6, and I actually have obsessive compulsive disorder. As in, I've been diagnosed with it, not like it's a joke and I'm just trying to be funny. That's something for another podcast. But what I will say is, I am hardwired to be deeply, deeply uncomfortable with uncertainty and not getting things right. And while I won't say that I'm any worse off than anyone else, I actually think that I have a lot of privilege and a lot of goodness in my life. That is something that I struggle with always. I can be frozen by feeling like I don't have all the answers or I'm not doing the right thing. And I think sometimes, if you are already wired to be this way as a human being, and then you throw religion into the pan, it's like gasoline for fire, okay? It turns that that gear in you up to 100. And so this reason that I'm about to point out is what I think can do that. And that is that people have had to really deconstruct the way that they approach hell, Sometimes, when people can't give you enough adequate reasons to love God, when they don't appreciate your line of questioning, when they think that you're being led astray, or you're getting lukewarm, or you're cherry-picking, or you don't fear God enough, people sometimes bring it back to this kind of like idea that if you're wrong and you stop believing, you're going to be punished. You are going to spend forever and ever and ever in eternal damnation and hellfire. And that's your only option. So you better get it right. You better fake it till you make it. Because this ends in absolute torture for you if you don't. So the teaching of hell, a place of eternal damnation, is actually contested in biblical scholarship. And again, I'm not a a scholar nor an expert, so I won't pretend. But from what I've read, some people say that Jesus was symbolically describing hell by saying that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but he was referring to a place where trash burned at the time called Gehenna, and so instead of giving a literal understanding of what to expect if one goes to hell, Jesus was just describing what it symbolically or metaphorically could be like after life if you are separated from God. Others point to the fact that the idea of an after 
afterlife, paradise versus not being in paradise, were things that were still being figured out and debated and written about and different beliefs existed even at the time of the New Testament writers and Old Testament writers. So perhaps it's not something that we should be dwelling on or obsessing over or threatening people with in the modern day. And honestly, it's up to you how you feel. I'll say this, at the end of the day, the only certainty in life is here and now. And I believe that if you are here listening to this, breath in your lungs, that's proof of purpose in your life. It is my firm understanding that no one is created in vain. With this life, your words and actions have the power to impact those around you. So choose wisely and lovingly. And yes, I am a Christian, so yes, I believe actions have consequences. And yes, I do believe in an afterlife, not only because of my faith, but based on different spiritual experiences that I've witnessed or experienced. And so I do think that there's another side to what we see physically. But I try not to as much as possible think of my faith as some grand escape plan where only Christians get to heaven or see any peace after death, as that's just not the way I've found to healthily view or hold on to my beliefs. I do not want to hold my beliefs or encourage others to have my beliefs based on fear tactics. It just doesn't work and I think it's a disservice to the relationship that I have with Christ. So for some, a crippling fear of hell has affected them and been a large part of what they have to deconstruct in their faith journey because this was used to keep them quote unquote strong, not really in their faith, but in religious doctrine. So there you have it. These are the top four reasons I've noticed why someone may deconstruct. For many, the journey of deconstructing their faith leads to different conclusions such as becoming a member of another faith, having no faith at all, atheism or agnosticism, or remaining in their faith, but ultimately being a part of another school of thought within that faith. So being a progressive Christian when you used to be fundamentalist. But a deconstruction journey is continuous and they are also not identical. There are things that some progressive Christians have said that I don't agree with. There are also ways in which I find myself still taking more of a traditional point of view. So it really just depends on the topic. But I do think that there are, just like there are some things that connect many fundamentalist and more traditional leaning Christians, there are some things that tend to connect more liberal or progressive leaning Christians. And that's just a fact of life. I also think that we have to not be afraid as Christians to disagree. I know that some people find it really disheartening, and I'm not saying that it, that it never is. But what I will say is that people change and people develop. And again, it's not because they don't care or because they're trying to get their way or worm their way around an issue. Sometimes it's because they've been so hurt or seen the damage of a particular way of practice that the reform is necessary. And at the end of the day, even if you weren't personally poisoned by the food in a restaurant, if the chef is giving out poisonous food, people have a right to not eat there anymore, or to go to a different restaurant, or to try a different recipe. 
And that doesn't always have to be something that makes you unable to have a relationship or kinship or fellowship with that person. Sometimes you guys will eat together, understanding that you can't digest the same foods. And that has to be okay at some point. I know that that's a weird analogy. And I also know that for certain topics, it's just very hard to be with people who maybe truly don't want to see you have the same rights as them or truly don't have an interest in seeing your life become any easier. That can be hard, and it can be especially hard if someone is that way and calls it being a good Christian. But for certain things, I do think that we have to learn how to have conversations with people that don't think the way we do without being intolerant. And I do believe that that is for the progressive as well as the fundamentalist. Within reason, within respectful conversation, do that as much as possible. And God, the best chef in the world, to follow my very odd analogy that I cannot let go of, probably really appreciates when we can eat at the same table instead of obsessing over whether or not we're eating the same exact meal. In all my years of Christianity, with all my doubts, I've somehow never doubted that one. So thank you so much for listening and Wherever you are on your faith journey, faith spectrum, I'm really thankful that you're here. Go in peace.